0: God's right to judge. That's our title this morning, God's right to judge. By way of introduction, let me say this. As we read the Bible and tabulate what it teaches us about God, we come to what theologians call theology proper, and that is the study of God himself. We learn from the scriptures, for example, that God possesses attributes, both communicable and incommunicable. Communicable attributes are those qualities and characteristics that God possesses and has also endowed us with, too, as men and women made in his image and his likeness. Examples of God's communicable Attributes would be love, compassion, reason, goodness, etc. But there is another column under theology proper when we discuss God's attributes, and those are the incommunicable attributes. In other words, these are the attributes that God possesses in and of himself. They comprise those qualities and characteristics that God possesses by virtue of the fact that he is God. Some of those might be the following. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. Now, some of you think you're all-knowing, but you're not. (laughs) God is omnipotent, all-powerful. God is unchanging. In other words, God cannot improve or decline. The scriptures say that God is perfect. But one of God's attributes that's highly regarded in the Scriptures, so highly regarded, in fact, that it is intentionally repeated in one verse that uses it as a descriptor for him, and that attribute is this, his holiness. God is holy. In his book, Christian Doctrine, John MacArthur writes the following, God's holiness is his inherent and absolute greatness in which he is perfectly distinct above everything outside himself and is absolutely morally separate from sin. Today, though, we're led to believe, you and I, that God is not holy anymore. God's lost his holiness in this culture. To some, he's weak. To others, he's permissive and allows all things. And to yet others still, he doesn't even exist. But regardless of where someone's belief might fall when it comes to God, one thing is almost universally certain. God is almost never A judge but this isn't biblical biblically speaking when we read the scriptures we learn that God has the right to judge God has the right to judge afforded to him because he's not only the creator of the universe but also because he is the communicator of his law say that again. God is afforded the right to judge not only as the creator of this universe in which we live, but also because he is the communicator of his law. And when he judges, it is powerful, it is daunting, and it is righteous. To help us grasp this concept, Amos says in chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord roars from Zion. And of course, he pulls the analogy of the Lord roaring from the likeness of the lion. And recently, something interesting was discovered. While all mammals have their larynx, or plural, larynges, connected to their rib cages by muscular strips, for those of us who are human beings, our connection here is somewhere up toward the top of our ribcage, it was discovered that the lion's larynx is connected to their ribcage at a much lower point as a result of this it gives them the ability to drop the frequency and thereby adding strength to their roar when those muscles flex their larynx drops deeper and it gives them the power that we know to be their roar. Deep sounds are far more powerful than high-frequency sounds, and therefore they can be heard farther away. A lion's roar, in fact, can be heard at a distance of approximately five miles. But if a lion's roar can be heard at a distance of approximately five miles, imagine how powerful it is to those who are in proximity to it. That's what we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about not those who are afar off from a lion who is roaring, but we're talking about people who are right next to the lion when he roars. Not the nations who are afar off but can hear that holy lion, but we're talking about Judah and Israel. A people who are close to the lion when he roars. So those are our two simple points today. The prophecy against Judah and the prophecy against Israel as the lion roars. To help us begin, we're looking at Amos chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, in which we find the prophecy against Judah. Say amen if you're ready. All right, looking again with your eyes, if you would, this is what the scriptures read. Thus says the Lord, all capitals, you might remember from last week what that reference is. This is the covenant God speaking. This is the personal God speaking. The God who is known to these people. This is what he says. For three transgressions of Judah and for four. I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. The familiar formula leads off for three transgressions and for four. I will not revoke my punishment. You remember what that means. It's not for three or for four, but that's a formula that suggests to us there's a continuation in their sin, in their sinning. There's a perpetual aspect of their sinning. It isn't that they sinned and they're repentant and they're sorry and they're working on their godliness. No, it's that they sin casually now. They don't really care. They sin all the time. It's become a habit. They don't repent anymore. There's an indifference toward unholiness and impurity. A couple of reasons for this are described in these verses here. The first of which is this they've rejected the law. This is in the middle of verse four. For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, says the Lord, because they have, you see that in your word? because they have rejected the law of the Lord. This is paramount to tearing up your marriage certificate. It wasn't until later that the Hebrew people, descendants of Abraham, were given the law. Their relationship started based upon Abraham, who was a man of faith. But their contract, the contract of their commitment, was portrayed by way of this covenant of the law. God promised to be their God, and they promised to be God's people and to abide by the word that he had given them. The law, in a sense, was a contract or a covenant to guide, to inform, and to instruct the people of Israel in righteousness. But here, they've put it aside. It says... For three sins of trans- three transgressions of Judah, and for four, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they have rejected the law of the Lord. How common it seemingly is for people to get tired of the law of the Lord and to reject it or put it aside altogether. How often do we see so-called Christians, from pastors all the way down to lay people, asked the most simple? straightforward, fundamental questions about Christianity and its teachings only to see them on live television or some popular podcast not be able to answer it. This is exactly what God is talking about. I've given you my word, and when someone who is not a believer says, what do Christians believe about something so simple, they can't answer it. Or they can't answer it but they refuse to answer it because they don't want to be seemingly unpopular. The truth of the matter is we've lost our backbone in this Christian culture. Amen? We've lost our courage in this Christian culture because somehow the world has taught us to believe that popularity is a synonym for truth, for right, but it isn't. Sometimes being unpopular and being right are the same thing particularly particularly excuse me in this society in which we live right now second they've been dishonest they've put the law of the lord aside but secondly they've also been dishonest this is the end of verse 4 their lies have led them astray and should that really challenge our thinking should it really challenge our thinking that Once you forsake God's law, dishonesty really isn't a big deal. Should it really challenge our thinking that the God who said, you shall not lie, convicts those who put aside his law of living in dishonesty? The point is clear. Once you reject God's word, there's a breakdown of social and personal convictions. This is why we have so many people adding adjectives before the word Christian. They're this kind of Christian and that kind of Christian. Everything becomes compromised when you compromise the word of God. Everything becomes compromised when you decide that the power that is contained in the law of the Lord is a power that needs to be negotiated, that needs to be adapted, that needs to be changed. The final word for Judah comes in verse 5. So I will send a fire upon Judah, the Lord says, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. This is the judgment that is going to happen in Judah And even the capital is mentioned, Jerusalem. Why? Look at the verse again. They have rejected the law of the Lord, and their lies have led them astray. And look at which lies we're referring to here. Those after which their fathers have walked. Say amen if you're listening. Church, some of you have to decide here today, this Sunday at First Baptist Church of Cutler Ridge, that you're going to start breaking cycles. Some of her, you're here, you don't have your husband with you, your kids don't have the father with you, and you're playing the victim because you have been victimized. But in the strength of the Lord, you don't have to perpetuate that victimization. You've got to decide, however, that you're not going to live in it. Because if you perpetuate what the fathers have done, the Lord will visit that judgment on you too. You're not going to be able to play that card with God the judge who is holy. God who, God is holy and he will visit judgment on all sin. Now, if your father has left you, if your grandfather has left you, if the man who has promised you, Tom and I were having this conversation this morning in my office, if the man who has promised you and covenanted with you before God and everybody who's there, that he will never leave you in sickness or in health in poverty or in riches, no matter what comes, good, bad, or ugly, he's going to be there for you. If that illegitimate sellout has left you, you are not without excuse. When every father in this earth has left you, God will be your father. God will provide men in the church to be a father for you. There are a lot of deacons here and older men here who are mentoring younger men. Because that's what the Bible commands us to do. Because if we don't do it, we raise up men who aren't men. They're stuck in a perpetual adolescence where their mothers, no offense, moms, continue to make everything palatable and okay. You see it on the news. We see it on the news. There's such an absence of masculine manhood that the men are out pillaging, and raping, and stealing, and destroying. And when they put their mother on the TV camera, she goes, he was such a good boy, I don't know what happened. (laughs) And we confound sympathy and compassion for the rule of law because of this new intersectionality that exists. Listen, if you're here, ladies, without a man, I'm sorry. Young people, if you're here and you haven't spoken to your dad recently and he hasn't put his hands on you and hugged you and told you how much you're worth and that he loves you, I'm sorry. But know this. The sins of your father will not excuse your sins. The scriptures tell us that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and kindness, but he does not forgive iniquity. He will visit the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation. And I think what that means is not that if your father sins, God will make you pay for it. I think what that means is if your father sins in a certain way and you adopt and inherit that sin and continue to practice it, you will get a visit from the Lord too. As long as the sin is in the family, say amen if you're listening. As long as that sin is in the family, God the judge will visit. As long as that sin is in your family, God will visit you. I think that's part, why, partly why we're going through what we are going through as a country. I think we're going through what we're going through as a country because there are broken hearts and minds over chattel slavery. We have a sin in our history. Now, for those of us who are in South Florida, we have difficulty understanding this because so, we've got everybody. We grow up with 50 shades of brown and we love everybody and we don't think twice of it. Amen? Amen. This is not the way it is in all the parts of our country. But don't let, don't let CNN tell you what's what. Don't let the news tell you what's what. You come to church, you look around. You come here and you say, that's my brother and my sister in Christ. We're unified in Christ. We're going to sympathize. We're going to converse. We're going to be reasonable. And we're going to be loving. But don't think for a second. Because you've inherited difficulty from your father, your grandfather, or your great-grandfather. God will not judge you. They're walking in the lies that their fathers walked in. Some of you have to make a decision. And that decision needs to be something like this. This is not what I asked for. This is not what I want. But God, help me to not repeat it in my life. I'll never forget... The day I walked into a men's ministry, it was called Mocha Men of Christian Action. The leader was a man named Daryl Small. Changed my life. 19 years old, I had just become a Christian. I hadn't been hugged by a man in years and years and years, because I grew up in a divorce house, just like many of you. And I walked in to a man who was a recovering cocaine addict, 6'8", 285, Calvin Hill. I'll never forget it. And I walked in, and that man said, Little Joey. And he put his arms around me, and it changed my life. And I didn't know why until years later. Every Saturday at 5 a.m., I got up, and I went to that men's group, and I realized why. It wasn't only because we studied the Bible. It wasn't only because those men were pouring into me. It was because it was the first time a man had hugged me in righteousness. Some of you are broken because you're not lacking in intelligence. You're lacking in love. Some of you are in the situation you're in, not because your mother doesn't love you. She loves you plenty, but because your father doesn't love you. And as difficult as this might be for you to hear, you need to hear it nonetheless. The lack of your father's love is not synonymous with the lack of your heavenly Father's love. The heavenly Father will love you. He will keep you. And he will send people into your life like he did me to help you know that you are loved, to help you know that you are not alone. But if you lay down and you say, woe is me, I've got a hard life, And you decide of your own volition and accord to inherit the sins of your father and to walk in a way that does not honor God, you will be visited. Because God is holy. And as a holy God, he will judge. And you say, Well, I've got such an incredible argument. I've got such an incredible reason for the way I live my life, unlike them and unlike them. Look at what it says. I will send fire upon Judah, and I will devour the strongholds. Church, you know what strongholds are. Strongholds are those things that we put our hope and trust into. Strongholds are those things that help us make us feel safe and secure and protected. You know, like when you come home and you've done everything that you can do that is absolutely wrong and ungodly, and your mother makes you sandwiches. And she gives you a bed to sleep in. And she irons your clothes. And she pays your cell phone bill. And she drives you to that appointment that you have absolutely no business going to at all whatsoever. Church, be careful what your strongholds are. God will destroy them. God will tear them down. We must be careful not to rely on the strongholds in our lives, the things or the people who we have counted on time and time again, because those people become idols to us. The thing by which we get our pleasure, the thing by which we get our way, the thing by which we get our blessing, instead of... Relying on Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. We can rely on our parents, our spouses, our jobs, our social media, our savings accounts, our bodies or our physiques, our friends, bad habits. There's a hundred things that you and I can rely on for our joy, our happiness, our peace, our comfort. But any and all of these things can be stripped away from us at a moment's notice. Our focus should be on the Lord. Our focus should be on Christ. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen. Because the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are not seen last forever. God is going to devour our strongholds. Devour is a Hebrew word, akhal, a word that means to eat. Interestingly enough, God's judgment will lead them to being devoured, Amos says, because lions devour, don't they? No play on words here. I think he's being very candid. Judah isn't the only one under God's judgment, though. Israel is under God's judgment, too. This is our second point the prophecy against Israel. Beginning in verse 6, read with your eyes as I read. It says, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted a man and his father going to the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay them, uh, they lay themselves down beside every altar. The garments taken in pledge. They drink wine in the house of God, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Let's stop there. There's a few things that I want to just categorize here. Sins that are mentioned that I want to just categorize. They're going to come up on the screen. First, there's materialism. First, there's materialism. Second, there's social callousness. And third, there's sexual immorality. Sound familiar? It says, they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. This is a synonymous parallelism. He's saying the same thing twice, it's the same thing, different words called a synonymous parallelism. And this parallelism is pointing at the materialism or the, the covetousness that's rampant at this time. Why would you want to sell the righteous? And why would you sell a needy person so that you can have another pair of shoes? The reason is simple. In a materialistic culture... Enough material is never enough material. We say that again. In a materialistic culture, enough material is never enough material. And when you live in a materialistic culture, people are a means to an end. They're disposable. Some of you are sitting here today. You don't know this. It might be kind of coming to your, um, your, your realization as I'm sharing this with you. You've been disposed of because you've served your purpose. Someone has used you and abused you and they've gotten what they've wanted from you and now they've put you aside because you were just a thing. You were just a means to an end. Now they got the attention from the person they really wanted, or they got the thing from you that they really wanted, and you're looking back on your life. Some of you are going, yeah, that just happened to me this weekend, or you're looking back on the last five years or the last 10 years. Some of you are looking back on the last 40 years of your life, and you're going, that's my testimony. Laying down like a floor mat, letting people walk on me in the hopes that I would be loved in the hopes that I would be appreciated, in the hopes that they would accept me. Say amen if you're listening. Don't let anybody walk on you. Don't let anybody mistreat you. Don't let anybody talk to you like you're anything other than a prince or a princess of the most high king. Amen? Amen? Learn your place and appreciate the place that God calls you to occupy. If you're a prince of the most high king, you better walk like it. If you're a princess of the most high king, you better walk like it. But if you have people in your life that mistreat you, abuse you, don't appreciate you, you need to look around and ask yourself this question. In whose kingdom am I, am I living? Because that's the, wor- that's the way the world treats people. That's not the way the kingdom of God should be treating people. Amen? If you've got people blowing you up on social media, block them. That's what I do. It's therapeutic. If you've got somebody who just keeps, what do they call it? They're trying to, they're, you know, they're trying to trigger you. And they're just, they're just it's, they're itching, man. They, just, they want you to act a fool in public. So that after you do, your sin is greater than theirs. Listen to me, church. Don't do it. Take a deep breath, say a prayer, count to 10 or 20. 30 if you need to. (laughs) Remember that you are a prince or a princess of the Most High King. And then act accordingly. Why? Why? Because for some people, you are nothing but a means to an end. It's a materialistic culture. And in a materialistic culture, stuff has value, not people. You read the word, people have value, not stuff. I love what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Because we brought nothing into the world, and it is a sure thing that we will be taking nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we should be content with these things. Nothing wrong with having another car. Nothing wrong with going shopping. Nothing wrong with buying another pair of shoes. There's nothing wrong with these things, but there's got to be an adequate level of moderation, When all of your joy is wrapped around material, then you've got to ask yourself, God, if I placed material in a place of idolatry? So that if I pray, I'm not happy. If I read your word, I'm not happy, but if I shop. Hit that Macy's sale, man. Woo! I am happy now. Listen, I was raised by three women. I can shop. You can ask Patty. I love shopping. And if something's on sale, watch out. But those things can't satisfy the hole that's in my soul. I've put drugs in there. I've put people in there. I've put stuff in there. Only Jesus has satisfied me. And I haven't gotten back everything that I've wanted. But Jesus is enough. Some of you need to know that today. You can stick anything you want in that hole, but it will not satisfy because God has not designed you to be materialistic. Secondly, we look at this verse in verse 7. They trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and they turn aside from the way of the afflicted. Secondly, we see that there's social callousness. Amos says that they trample on the heads of the poor, they turn away from the afflicted. These are responsibilities that the believing community is supposed to not only believe in, but protect. We're not only supposed to believe in these things, beloved, but we're supposed to protect them because God is, God is supplying us with our needs. He's providing for us so that when we see those who are lacking provision and la- lacking supplies, we can we can provide. We can supply and say, I'm doing it because God has done it for me. That's the gospel. We're supposed to believe in people's needs and care for justice. The apostle James says it this way, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is like this. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep yourself unstained from the world. It's interesting because today we want to talk about the popularity of churches, right? We want to talk about the popularity of churches, but do you know in the New Testament, it isn't the popularity of church that is to be our target. It's the purity of the church that's supposed to be our target. It doesn't really matter if there's 5,000 people in your church if there's no purity. In purity, there's power. And we are called to lead people toward satisfaction. When we see what's happening around the world in the news, whether it's in our own country or other places, we should watch the news. We should be dumbfounded for one thing. We say, you got to be kidding me. But we, as Christians, have to be discerning enough to look through the political facade and say, just because this is not justifiable doesn't mean there aren't people with genuine need. And we have to meet that need. You hear what I'm saying? We cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. We cannot dismiss an issue entirely because some people are perverting that issue for political means. We are called... help those in need, and to care about justice, to care about those who are poor. That's our responsibility. Thirdly, there's sexual immorality. Again, a misuse of what God has created. It says that God created Adam and Eve. He escorted Eve down the aisle, which was the Garden of Eden, and presented Eve to Adam And Adam said, I'm going to call her a woman. Which sounds like man because she came from my flesh. She's flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And God says, be fruitful and multiply. This is the blessing of what is sexual intimacy. It's amazing to me. We read this book about 790 B.C., 800 years before Jesus comes. And what is God judging them for? Materialism, social callousness and sexual immorality. There is nothing new under the sun.